Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Thursday, March 10th, 2022. I'm John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine, inviting you to go to commentary.org slash live podcast to learn about our April 6th live podcast in Palm Beach, Florida. You got three different ways to attend. You can just come to the podcast. You can come to a meet and greet with us before the podcast. Or you can come have reserved seating and join us at a VIP dinner after the podcast. You can look up these three tiers of attendance at commentary.org slash live podcast. And we hope to see you there. If you've already purchased a ticket uh, and would like to upgrade to these new levels, we will be in touch with you by email to let you know with me as always and in Palm Beach on April 6th are and will be executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So the inflation numbers for February are out and they are really, really bad. They are incredibly bad. Um, we have uh, the fastest pace again of inflation in 40 years. Every month now, we achieve a new high level of fastest pace of inflation with the report monthly report of inflation stats. We're up almost a percentage point, 0.8% month over month, and almost uh, 8% uh, for the year. Um, and uh, boy, this is bad. Um, and we were discussing just before we came on the air, uh, you know, Christine went and filled up her tank for $57. I had the same experience the other day filling up my tank for 50 and I was only half empty or something. So, um, you know, everybody in America is going through this. And I was just saying that, you know, uh, of all the inflationary pressures that we face in the United States that are unprecedented, get gas price increases and gas spikes are 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 the the only ones that are familiar to people that is to say like we we have experienced 10 times since the worst gyrations of the 80s moments at which the uh the 70 late 70s early 80s moments at which the uh you know oil prices have spiked you know uh in 2012 for example uh, with Barack Obama getting reelected at the end of the year, gas prices were quite startlingly high. Noah looked it up. It was about $3.50 a gallon on election day, and that, was, that number was declining. It had risen as high as about $4 at some point during 2012. So I would say the American consumer, who is not you know, 22 or 23 years old, has a built-in understanding that in general – at the pump, prices fluctuate and that what goes up can go down and can go vertiginously down. You know, there was a point a couple of years ago where, you know, we were buying gas for $1.50, you know. Um, so I don't know that that is going to panic people and, and, or, or that that is the one thing that people sort of understand. It's all, everything else that is freakish. It is, it is seeing food prices rise the way food prices are rising or in concomitant ways food prices rising because the amount of food you buy with the same dollar is less if you buy you know you buy bread there's too few too too 
fewer slices of bread in your in your sliced bread, you know, or some something like that. That that quantities are going down for the same price, which is effectively a you know a, a significant price increase. Uh, and uh, rent uh, rent is rising everywhere, and and stuff like that. and so all of that. This is where uh, it really starts getting freakish. Uh, for people that's that's what's new that's what that's what we haven't seen since inflation was broken uh in the early 1980s by ronald reagan and paul volcker so uh, you know it's interesting because the biden administration has been doubling and tripling down on this message which we're going to go into pretty heavily that the uh, inflation problem is due to putin and putin's war and i think that the weirdness of this as i say is that this is the one area about which the American people might be inclined to not panic about gas prices, having been through gyrations before. Um, so their attempt to attribute uh, economic, the economic hardships uh, facing American consumers at this moment to this uh, you know, exogenous circumstance, um, I think not only are not true, because we'll get into that, but also uh, miss the point. Uh, and miss what it is that people are actually experiencing from uh, inflation. It's not. It's not so much, by the way, the gas as it is the thing that the gas goes in, right? Because I'm not just talking about food prices. I mean, we have automobile prices going up thirty to thirty-four percent, or something like that, over the course of the last year and a half. That's so. That's actually the point: is the cumulative impact of inflation has been experienced by Americans for many, many months now. People have been talking about it. People have been complaining about it. I mean, since the summer, in particular, with food prices, gas prices in there too. But what I think has been uh, really obnoxious to the Biden administration is the constant uh, messaging, which has been stop complaining. This isn't our fault. There's nothing we can do at first. It was the supply chain because of COVID that, that, that now it's the Russians. And those excuses are understandable from a political standpoint, but they have fallen on deaf ears for most Americans. Most Americans are like, what's your plan to get us out of this? That's what we're not hearing from this administration. And that's, I think, why if you look at the polls uh, and even Republicans are like, we're happy to pay more gas prices if it means defending Ukraine. Like there's a there is a sense of sort of patriotic. We'll suck it up if it means helping this other country. But it's the Biden administration just um, not using that as an excuse not to talk about long term economic health that drives consumers crazy, it drives me crazy. I'm like, why am I paying so much for for so little in terms of groceries? I have teenage boys in the house who eat constantly. And I mean, the the sticker shock is real, but it's been real for six months now. Okay, yeah, according to category, just by category. So energy is up 25.6%, right? So that's that's you know, that's that's petroleum products and stuff like that. Used cars and trucks up 41%, but food prices are up 7.9%. So the inflation rate is 7.9%, right? The overall inflation rate. Food prices are up 8% over year to year. Okay? So Eight percent. That is that is you know necessary. That is the most necessary spending on Earth, and that is there it is. Yeah, I think there's a real uh, political risk in what the administration is attempting to do here by retroactively conditioning the nation to believe that the average increase that they experienced in gas prices between inauguration day and the day Russia invaded Ukraine of one dollar and twenty one cents higher in some places, low in others, but nevertheless significantly higher. Um, 
is somehow just upon you today as a result of this exogenous crisis, as you say, is incredibly insulting um, to a degree that every single person who drives regularly notices and understands. And they, over the course of the last week, they're spending an extra probably $100 a week on gas. Um, that's an, for many an unsustainable expense, um, but they've been gradually having to increase their budget for this outlay over the course of the last year. They understand, moreover, that the administration, which telegraphed and retailed the idea that there would be pain at the pump and they'll do everything they can to stop it, isn't doing everything they can to stop it because they've had an anti-energy policy they campaigned on and executed in office. And you would have to be just not interested in this issue to not be aware of the degree to which the administration has signaled to the market that nothing else is coming online here. And now they have the gall to attempt to demonize fossil fuel producers amid this, you know, all hands on deck moment, this you know, global crisis that everybody needs to be in, engaged with together. They're pivoting to demonizing the fossil fuel companies for bizarrely for the notion here that there are 9000 unapproved oil leases that gas and oil companies are not tapping into. Why? Because they don't want to take advantage of, of record prices and the prospect of a return from an, a, a greatly expanded export market for no good reason at all, because they just hate the Biden administration. And this is juvenile, infantile arguments that are well, does, let's that can only it. succeed on. if you believe so, Noah, the people stop, you're stop talking right to are Noah, Stop right there. You said there are 9000 leases that are not being that are, that are you know, are, are not being activated, let's say. Why I aren't they being to. activated? <clears throat> I can tell you why, because it, I know. Well, tell, tell, you know, you're, you're, you were already well, maybe half of, of order, them so. are um, yeah. the permits are unapproved, so they can't do right. anything. Right. Moreover, exploration and exploitation is a crapshoot just because you have a, a lease on a uh, on a potential deposit doesn't mean you can develop that posit, deposit and bring it to market. This is why the American Petroleum Institute CEO, Mike Summers, said the administration was, quote, purposefully misusing the facts because they're just not explaining the extent. And if you even need to have this explained to you, that permitting for acreage doesn't necessarily mean it will be productive acreage. Well, it's not just that, right? So, so the whole point is that uh, this, is a, uh, this is a flowing, ongoing market. And, and because um, American uh, natural gas exploration exploded uh, in, you know, uh, from about 2007 onward, and became this um, uh, mammoth, uh, in, almost instantaneous industry through hydraulic, fr hydraulic fracturing and the ability to, you know, uh, uh, export, <laughs> get so much of it that we not only, you know, in wildly in increased our own production, but we could do production for export. And so that that market is very expensive. It's very expensive to 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 frack, and then it's also very expensive to get the oil to you know basically around the country, and all of that. So that is unusually sensitive to price changes. And the truth is that you know in the in in the second half of the of the teens, um, it became less and less valuable to spend the money to get that stuff out of the ground because prices were going down. So the market slowed um, when it was time for the market to start accelerating, which was really about a year after the pandemic, right? Because uh, because then you know, the, the pandemic meant that there that there was much less demand. Um, and then after a year, everything started to heat up again and prices were going up and and petroleum prices were going up. And therefore, it would have been time for these 
fracking businesses to start ramping up because it takes a couple of years. But you know, many that years. Was, it can take seven to ten years to develop. It can, one, although it, it, it can, although you know the fracking industry almost was incepted. But that has in nothing to do with the prices. Wait, sure it does because it is time. It, you know, it's time to drill, right? It's time to drill, and it's going to take a couple of years at a minimum to get to get the stuff out, right? Okay. But if you know it's a futures market, if you know uh, that there is going to be this, you know, new flow, new source of energy, um, you, you know, you, you, you can borrow against it. Yeah, this you is can, what I'm trying to say, that the price, especially right. of Brent crude, responds to signals from the marketplace, not right. supply increases. So the right. Biden exactly. administration could very much say we're rescinding our executive orders, prohibiting gas and oil leases on federal land, eliminating these executive orders that prevented agencies from subsidizing fossil fuel producers, approve the freaking Keystone pipeline, and half a dozen other executive orders that signal to the marketplace that there is no supp new supply coming online in the next five to 10 years. So prices go up or stagnate. See, right. what gets, <clears throat> what, what, what irritates me about the messaging is, is different from all this, even though I agree with all that. To the extent that uh, gas prices are going up and will go up because of our response to, to the invasion of Ukraine, um, the messaging from the White House should not be cutesy and clever. We, calling it, you're calling it a Putin gas hike as if you know Biden is running against Putin. Uh, the, the message here is <clears throat> we're doing something as a nation that's noble. We're taking a noble stand and I'm leading us through it and we're going to get through it. And it's the correct thing to do and just take a stand already. I mean, the, 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 what, what's so annoying about this, and I think it's a huge part of, of why Biden's ratings are, you know, continue to drop albeit with the with the bounce he he's experienced in the in the wake of the state of the union a huge part of 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 the loss of confidence in him is that he just refuses to lead they all do and it's the oil producers fault and it's putin's fault and it's i'm not saying it's not, putin's a good guy it's you know make the case that putin's a terrible guy and we are doing this thing in response and we're doing it together and he, that this is how government, this is what the presidency is for. I'll okay, but, you know, we, go ahead. Joe Biden has deserves credit for taking the lead on energy. Europe didn't lead with sanctions on energy, which is the most vulnerable section of the of the uh, Russian economy. They did it first and UK followed. And this is this is a real blow to Russian prospects. And there's significant evidence in the polling that people are willing to shoulder this burden in defense of our interests and values. God bless them. But then they sort of retreat back into the comfort of partisan politics to an extent that, you know, they're and you, you know how tuned in they are to the online environment. The online left is, has been very suspicious of energy sanctions, believe it or not, not because of any ideological commitment, because they believe it's, quote, a political trap. You saw this all over Twitter over the course of the last couple of days and making its way into you know reliable outlets like Slate saying that Biden administration probably shouldn't have done this because they're going to be attacked for it. Republicans, right. okay. Republicans will will you know sacrifice the, you know their propriety to attack this administration for something they support, and it's sort of unpatriotic even to go after the administration for its energy policy at this at this pivotal point in history.
Well, let's talk about the defense of the administration, because the defense of the administration appears in a perfect form in a fact check today in the New York Times by Linda Q. Okay, so um, as gas prices hit a high this week, top top Republican lawmakers took to the airwaves uh, with misleading claims with openly. This is the lead of the piece with misleading claims that pinned the blame on President Biden and his energy policies. Uh, What was said? Um, Mitch McConnell, the administration wants to ramp up energy imports from Iran and Venezuela. That is the world's largest state sponsor of terror and a thuggish South America dictator, respectively. They would rather buy from these people than buy from Texas, Alaska, and Pennsylvania. That's Mitch McConnell. Kevin McCarthy, Democrats want to blame surging prices on Russia, but the truth is they're out of touch. Policies are why we're here in the first place. Uh, the president canceled the Keystone Pipeline, and then he stopped new oil and gas leases on federal lands and waters. Former Vice President Mike Pence said, in the four years of the Trump-Pence administration, we achieved energy independence for the first time in 70 years. But from very early on, with killing the Keystone Pipeline, taking federal lands off the list of exploration, sidelining leases for oil and natural gas, once again, before Ukraine ever happened, we saw rising gasoline prices. These are the three quotes that are are mentioned here uh, in Linda Q's fact check. Okay, And here's what these claims are misleading, period. That sentence, by the way, appears in boldface type, just in case you might miss it. It's in bold. The primary reason for rising gas prices over the past year is the coronavirus pandemic and its disruptions to global supply and demand. COVID changed the game, not President Biden, said Patrick DeHaan, the head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy which tracks gasoline prices. U.S. oil production fell in the last eight months of President Trump's tenure. Is that his fault? No, the pandemic brought us to our knees. Okay, so as pandemic restrictions loosen worldwide and economies recover, demand outpaced supply. That was mostly attributed to the decision by OPEC Plus, uh, an alliance of oil producing countries that control about half the world's supply to limit increases in production, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has only compounded the issues. Okay, so. Uh, Gas Biden, buddy guy yeah. is the new my pillow guy for Biden. Yes, <laughs> my prediction. So, right. So um, uh, oil production uh, slows way down during the pandemic, not only because it was difficult because of you know working restrictions and lockdowns and things like that, but because demand was low and then demand goes high, right? Demand demand outpaces supply and OPEC decides it's going to make some extra money by limiting production and therefore keeping, you know, and then therefore maybe, you know, keeping prices high. Well, you know what? That's a really good time. As I was saying five minutes ago, that's a really good time for domestic oil production to ramp up again. But these are several paragraphs after the bold face. These claims are misleading. Um, Linda Q does write, uh, these factors are largely out of Mr. Biden's control, experts agreed, though they said he had not exactly sent positive signals to the oil and gas industry and its investors by vowing to reduce admissions and fossil fuel reliance. Oh, so maybe those claims aren't misleading. You say it right here in the piece. Biden's hostility to oil exploration in the United States and his and his ideological determination to reduce American dependency on, you know, on 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 oil and gas and all of that 
well, you know, if you're making a 10-year investment in in a you know in a in in a fracking uh, field, uh, maybe you're going to look somewhere else to put your money because who knows what this guy will do to your fracking field three years from now after you've spent five hundred million dollars, you know, trying to trying to get get stuff you know off shale shale deposits off the walls um, of your of your of your mine. I mean, it's right there. So you have the mainstream media saying Republicans are misleading people by saying that Biden's attitudes are having an effect on oil prices. It's a totally misleading, except it's not really misleading because he's hostile to oil exploration and is hostile to is hostile to the use of of gas because of uh, you know climate change and other things. So this is this is the universe in which he travels. He's sitting in a room saying, ah, these goddamn Republicans, look what they're saying. They're lying about me. And everyone's going, yes, Mr. And then there's an article in the New York Times, and they put it on his desk in front of him so he can have a nice, happy moment in which his priors are, you know, which he is supported and which Republicans are attacked and everything can go forward. And so once again, uh, the existence of the liberal bubble uh, is surely going to make this worse for him. Because he is going to think, well, this is definitive. Look, and they say that it's misleading and the Republicans are lying about me. So I really don't, uh, you know, I don't really have to change. In fact, I should double down because clearly they're desperate. And it only degrades the uh, country's willingness to absorb these burdens um, in perpetuity because it's not, you know, it's not an, everybody's in, you know, this all for them all, all together into this, you know, for the sake of Western values and liberalism and what have you, you know, certain people are, are worthy of being demonized. The fossil fuel producers are worthy of being demonized. The Republicans are lying to you about this, that, and the other thing. So partisan politics are returning to the debate around our response to this invasion. And then it will only uh, erode support for these continued measures, no matter how important and necessary they are. Christine, uh, as a as our as the common commentaries media columnist, uh, do you, I mean we, we you know a lot of a lot of conservatives are aware that the fact check industry is you know given that it's supposed to be so you know factual fact based um, is in fact the most ideologically distorted uh, pursuit that they that they follow. But it's, um, it's very sad actually because I think it the, the whole fact checking industry started out with good intentions. You know they were very it was very much a Boy Scout ethos of you know we're going to find the truth and we're going to make sure we're very rational and we're going to assign people who aren't opinion writers or you know politically minded to do this. And that lasted for about, I don't know, a month. And then, you know, the 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 lead sites, particularly PolitiFact, which is in, its entire brand is supposed to be factual, became clearly partisan. They're they're unable to understand the other side of the aisle. And in, in part, it's because they often judge the facts based on a reaction to what they've seen Tucker Carlson say on Fox News, for example. So they're like, well, we have to combat that. That's terrible. And that's now being rebranded as misinformation. Sometimes it is misinformation. Other times it's just partisan hackery. Fine. But they're the the I don't think any um, educated consumer of news believes a fact check anymore. And if they do, they should stop because they the, consider the source on all of these. And even the ones that brand themselves as independent are no longer independent. It's kind of sad. It's like what's happened with civil liberties and the ACLU. The ACLU no longer defends civil liberties. So it's sad. Um, but, you know, it's like a futures market in this sense, which is that uh, Biden saying that uh, inflation is due to Putin and Putin's war 
will be true. And, um, you know, he's uh, he's jumping too early on this argument because I don't think we ain't seen nothing yet. Right. We're at 0.8 percent for February. The war starts on February 23rd, I believe. So there are only five days left. In February. Be much worse next month. Yes. God only. God only knows what the numbers will be in March. Right, 0.8%, 7.9% annually. Unbelievable what, what could happen. Um, uh, so let me uh, let me just uh, pull back. We, we need to talk a little more about this, but I want to talk to you guys about Headspace now more than ever. Uh, it's time for some calm and some clarity and some mindfulness because uh, this conversation alone you know, might be making you feel hyper or tired or stressed or annoyed or just, ugh. so it's time to connect with your feelings by starting your mental health journey with headspace. We all say fine. We don't mean it. You know, uh, we fine isn't really an emotion. How many times have you told yourself you're fine when, when you really been feeling is anger or sadness or helplessness headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved that in just two weeks, the use of the headspace app can reduce your stress by 14%, your everyday mindfulness, uh, dose of mindfulness for real life. Once you download the Headspace app and try its mindfulness routines, it takes just a few minutes a day to change your relationship with stress and anxiety to start feeling better from waking up happier to getting your mind ready for bed. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash commentary and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash commentary today. Headspace.com slash commentary. And our friends at Novo want to remind you uh, that their new powerfully simple business checking is a way of favoring the bold, the strong, and the brave to help your business break out of what's holding you back. Business checking, very innovative. Unlike the traditional banking model, Novo has no minimum balances, no transaction limits, no hidden fees. It's customized to your business to save you time and free up cash flow with seamless integrations to Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks, online, and more. Sign up for Novo for free and join the community of over 150,000 fearless small businesses who found the customizable business checking solution that admires their bravery. So sign up for your free business checking account right now at novo.co slash commentary plus. Commentary Magazine listeners get access to over $5,000 in perks and discounts. Go to novo.co slash commentary to sign up for free. Novo.co slash commentary. Novo Platform Inc. is a fintech, not a bank. Banking services provided by Middlesex Federal Savings FA, member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Biden is attempting to um, peddle this message, and uh, I, you know, it, it, I think Noah, you make a you make an important point, which is that um, which is that if we're if we're looking for national unity in the face of a worldwide crisis, um, Biden could, in some sense, shame McConnell and McCarthy and Republicans uh, into better behavior, let's say, from his point of view, by being by by rising above this, right? By be by saying, you guys can say whatever it is you want to say. I'm trying to save the world here. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm not interested in attacking American businesses. I'm not interested in attacking Republicans. The world has an enemy here. We should be focusing on, you know, the nobility of the Ukrainian people. And the, But they don't have the internal barometer that says to them that going that, going, weirdly enough, going high um, at a moment of international crisis will actually pay, could pay very serious political dividends. They really are in the mindset, I think, that <laughs> they hit you, you hit them back twice as hard. That's if interesting. You don't, it's unilateral disarmament. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, <clears throat> you could see that having that kind of effect if they were to adopt that kind of messaging. The obstacle, in my view, isn't um, that its efficacy is, uh, you know, something you can't imagine or envision to be that kind of high-minded type and, and eschew partisan politics. It's the temptation of partisan politics and also the temptation of your own cleverness, because what does that serve you? Who's, who's served by, you know, we have a clever slogan here with the Putin price hike. It's alliterative, you know, it's catchy. And it also sort of assumes that your interlocutors are stumbling idiots who can't possibly imagine what life was like three months ago. I mean, that's the sort of thing that really gets them up in the morning. Right. Just about everybody in politics really underestimates your intelligence. I think our politics would be dramatically improved, in fact, if most of the consultancy class and the strategists who form these, uh, the articulate this type of messages, just had a little bit more respect for your, for your intelligence. They, they operate under the assumption that you are a manipulable idiot who doesn't really understand how any of this works and probably doesn't remember very much. It certainly doesn't can't identify trends. So they just try to feed you information and talking points and have you repeat them. And in fact, it's 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 your willingness to repeat them that sort of demonstrates your your allegiance to the cause. So, yeah, I mean, a strategy that was that was totally high minded and ignored political attack. They can't you can't ignore political attack. How do you justify your check? Well, that's a. That's an issue. Abe, let, let's 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 delve into this a little bit because um uh you know is there is Biden missing a political opportunity to use the national unity on this issue? Now, granted, the unity doesn't go as far as providing direction about what America should be doing, right? I mean it, it, you know, people want to know fly zone, but they don't know what it means. However, you want to slice it. But nonetheless, you know, we are 75 to 80 percent of Americans are supporting tough measures, including that include things that they have acknowledged are going to increase gas prices, in which case, uh, you know, they're taking a certain amount of responsibility for the increase in gas prices. That's an odd part of it. Right. I mean, in other words, like you say, it's obviously it's Putin, Putin's evil and Putin's doing that, but they're willing to shoulder the inflationary effect. They're willing to pay the cost and bear the burden. Um, so we haven't seen a moment of unity like this, I think, since 9-11, maybe. I mean, we haven't seen people have a kind of common response to a crisis like this. And it represents a vision. It, rep it seems to represent a political opportunity. Now, I don't mean in a in a in a kind of uh, you know cal wildly calculated way. No, the the calculated thing is is what they're doing is 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 moving forward with this 
like admixture of foreign policy and political calculation, uh, you know, sort of partisan calculation, you know. Um, yeah, of, of course, if, 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 if he would make the case strongly, boldly, there would be plenty of dissenters. There would be Republicans who would take cheap shots, um, but most would come along. And by the way, I mean, the, the, the political danger in, in, in doing this, in, in being bold and, and saying we're doing something that's hard, that, that we'll get through, and, it's, I'm, and I'm taking full responsibility for this, and it's, it's going to hurt us in some ways in the, in the short term, but in the long term, it's right thing, is that much like the post-9-11 period, the unity does fall apart eventually and and gets quite vicious when it does. And people start pointing fingers, uh, even though especially those people who were swept up in it at, at the time. Um, that's part of the game. Uh, Bush still got reelected, by the way, uh, after after the after the after the the the, the immediate uh, 9-11, 9-11 American unity sort of began to dissolve. Um, he, he, he was still a two-term president. I mean, Christine, go ahead. Christine, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it's not as if the, the, the Democrats are, are not in disarray, uh, congressionally either. We had all these reports about yesterday about this, this spending bill, and there was a little revolt in the democratic caucus and Pelosi had to sort of scramble and they're all supposed to be on this, you know, unity retreat for the next few days in Philadelphia to sort of figure out messaging for the midterms. And it, and it sounds terrible. It sounds like a, like a sorority gone bad. Like there's a lot of sniping and talking to reporters and questioning Pelosi's leadership. And so it, it, it would be bad enough if the leader of the party, the president, was was making these uh, messaging errors and these stumbles now. But his his own the congressional Democrats are kind of a, a mess, too. So this is voters are looking at this and going, does anybody know how to run this country? What is happening? Well, look, let's go to the Senate, because I was talking to a, 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 a senator uh, the other day um, who was telling me that um, he, he can't believe how incompetent Chuck Schumer is as Senate Majority Leader, and I, I don't quite know what he was referring to because I'm because I'm so you know concentrated on Ukraine and stuff that I haven't been following the Senate machinations day to day. But he said last week there were four votes, and the Democrats lost three of them. Schumer called four votes, and they lost three. And when you're the majority leader, you're not supposed to call a vote that you lose. You're supposed to know that and then like not do it like it's like competence 101 not to have let, you know, to to have tabled whatever it was that Schumer didn't table. But his people wanted a vote. And so he let it happen because he wants them to be happy with him in some fashion um, which is not, you know, something that Mitch McConnell, as we know, actually cares that much about is the sort of care and feeding or when he was majority leader or Harry Reid when he was majority. The care and feeding of his caucus is not, not exactly his his his, you know, gravest interest and certainly not not ideologically. So we have uh, Biden displaying a certain degree of political incompetence in terms of an opportunity that he's squandering on this national unity. Uh, Pelosi, um, you know, and the three responses to the say, you know, a, sort of the fact that Democrats are so undisciplined that they actually had democratic responses to the State of the Union. 
a, a, a unity moment for, for, for their own party, if there ever was one, a speech that is designed to represent the unity of the party in power's view of what should happen in the country over the following year. And they respond to it like that's pr pretty astonishing and not and really not knowing where they're going. And, you know, the funny part is all of this comes at a time when maybe Democrats should be feeling a little better about what is coming at them in November because they've won these court battles over their uh, that rejecting Republican gerrymanders, new maps uh, in North Carolina and, and somewhere else uh, and accepting Democratic gerrymanders in other places. So they have limited the structural damage that they could have been facing in November 2022 by um, uh, through through uh, proper through, you know, the use of uh, redistricting um, that is pretty much gone their way and thus limiting the downside damage that could have been faced by Republican redistricting maps that that would have really disadvantaged them that that they got overturned in court and that the Supreme Court allowed the overturning to continue. So this could have been a good moment where they're like, well, look, at least we built some dams here. You know, we built some dams. We have some levy. You know, we got some levies or whatever. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. It seems to me that 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 they're in that they're in such disarray. Abe. I just want to make one more point about the administration's inability to, to uh, pull together here and be bold and show leadership. I continue to believe that part of what's going on is that the administration got so spooked by the debacle in Afghanistan and the reaction to it. And they got so sort of addicted to trying to slip out of every position that they just don't want to get tagged with anything here. And that is, that's sort of the mindset that we constantly see on display. I mean, uh, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm, I'm even sort of like a little annoyed that we're, we, we, we're talking about this uh, when, you know, we are, facing this unbelievably difficult and unprecedented, you know, uh, situation in, in Ukraine uh, where we might have seen a different kind of leadership. Um, and again, like the, the, the squandered opportunity is Biden could have gone for unity. Biden could have called, you know, Schumer and Pelosi and McConnell and McCarthy to the white house and had everybody stand together and say, you know, Look, we're going to disagree on many things, but uh, but uh, you know we are we are here for you know we're here for the Ukrainian people. Um, I, I, you know, just just as a I mean, just as a simple uh, act of um, not only something that would hearten people because they they like seeing that sort of thing, but also like put him throw Republicans on the defensive a little bit about whether or not they're sort of churlish and cheap and sort of like saying everything that the Biden administration does is bad. And then, you know, you could say, well, well, they're not, this isn't so bad, you know, or, uh, their instinct, their comfort zone is to demonize whole sectors of society. The 29, uh, democratic primary race began in 2019 and spent about 17 debates talking only about Medicare for all. A big feature of that debate was 
demonizing and attacking the pharmaceutical industry. Big Pharma was a primary target of democratic messaging. And it was generally that this is an irredeemable industry that does nothing but fleece you and needs to be regulated to the point that it no longer has a profit motive. Um, that messaging didn't last very long into 2020. In fact, it seemed rather silly and foolish in retrospect because they had demonized an industry that they subsequently turned on a dime, pivoted 180 degrees and demanded that they save the planet from the conditions we found ourselves in. And then they're here today doing exactly the same thing, albeit even with even less coherence because they are attacking the very industry they are at the same time demanding, produce, get active. Rescue us from these conditions. How dare you not take advantage of the profit motive that's in front of you? Uh, it is incredibly silly. And I can't imagine that it's a message that is very long for this world because it is so condescending. Okay, well, let, let's also talk about something that happened yesterday that kind of rattled, that was if you should rattle everybody, but I think rattled uh, Abe and, and, and Noah, the two of you. Um, so uh, Victoria Nuland, the Undersecretary of State, who just, you know, uh, full disclosure is one of my oldest friends, was testifying uh, on uh, Tuesday, I think, and mentioned that um, uh, America's concerned because it, Ukraine has biological research facilities and, uh, and they want to make sure that, you know, they don't get bombed or something like that. And then uh, the Russians and their uh, and and some of their social media um, acolytes or uh, or sort of uh, useful idiots or fellow travelers sort of took this on to say ah so Ukraine is doing chemical weapons research and 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 we're we're scared of it and it's terrible uh, woo see now everyone's saying oh Ukraine is so wonderful well it's doing chemical weapons research and that's illegal. Uh, so Jen Psaki, in an effort to defend the administration, then went on a sort of Twitter, did this uh, Twitter thread yesterday in which she said, this is in this, this is the Russian playbook uh, to claim that somebody has uh, research, chemical research, you know, something like that. And therefore, uh, maybe since they're trying to demonize the Ukrainians for having chemical weapons that they don't have they are creating the predicate for them to use chemical weapons. And maybe we should be prepared for the fact that Russians are going to use chemical weapons in Ukraine. Right. So to tease out two of these threads, um, the allegation from Moscow, the conspiratorial theory isn't chemical, but biological. Biological. There are, there right. are reportedly biological weapons that are developing, you know, severe strains of diseases designed to, and they're going to attack Russia, they're going to attack their own people. And, you know, that's nonsense. What they're referring to are these Soviet era biological labs that to the extent the United States invested in them at all. And the United States is very central to this narrative because Ukraine doesn't really exist. It's an American fiction in this narrative. Uh, the United States invested in this during the non-Luger years uh, to try to deactivate the weapons programs that were being maintained by the Soviet era inside Ukraine and destroy these samples. And reportedly, the when the invasion began, Anything that was particularly virulent, level three, level four stuff was destroyed just just to prevent this sort of event from occurring. But yes, um, Saki is retailing a narrative that was retailed throughout Western intelligence. Unnamed Western intelligence were telling reporters all day yesterday that they have reason to believe that a uh, unconventional weapon would be used in Ukraine to justify. I don't even know what justify an even more total war against Ukraine. Um, and that's very scary uh, in part because intelligence 
declassified by the West, while not perfect, has been shockingly accurate in the lead up to the invasion. Um, okay, so perfect. let's so let's man at the same but, time, an event like that would make it absolutely impossible to contain this conflict within Ukraine's borders. Um, you can't you can't contain the use of a, of a weapon like this. There's a doctrinal response that would kick in. Intervention would have its own momentum at that point. Um, it would be catastrophic. OK, but. Here's my here's why one of the reasons I wanted to mention this, because um, uh, if there is serious and, and, and there is there is serious intelligence that, you know, um, Moscow is going to do something like this. Um, doesn't that start changing the war calculus here? Are we going to is this like 9-11 policing? Are we going to sit here and wait until the crime is committed to respond to it? Now, granted, in other words, like we don't do anything until they launched until they until they use the biological chemical weapons, except then they will have created uh, an entirely new world order by doing so. I don't know what the answer is, but, you know, what we have been doing is saying we're not going to escalate. We're not going to escalate. We're not going to be involved in Polish planes getting flying to Ukraine. And we're, you know, that's not tenable. And we, we can't we can't be here escalating. They can at the same time retail the information or the idea that the, so that the Russians are poised to use outlawed uh, weapons that will in an, in in their use in and of themselves, as Noah says, trigger war. Well, it's well, very um, unfortunate, so, but we've established a precedent that uh, maintains that the use of chemical weapons is a survivable event. I mean, Bashar because of Syria, Bashar al-Assad survived it. Uh, Kim Jong Un well, survived that's the it. Good part. Look, Russia look, that's survived the... it. Russia yeah, used that... Novichok on on British soil and in putting but it look, in, in Navalny's underpants. Uh, we've seen chemical weapons use over the last seven years. That is a survivable event for rogues that use them. But look, that's why we shouldn't be concerned here, because what happened the last time a nation used chemical weapons? Well, uh, Barack Obama. Drew drew a red line. Said, "If you do this, we're gonna we're gonna kill you. We're gonna come after you." And then the Syrians use chemical weapons. And then it was like, "No, no, it's okay. The Russians will take care of it. The Russians will take the chemical weapons from the Syrians." And that was the way that Obama got out of the box that he had painted himself in. So, cut out the middleman. Russia has the chemical weapons already. So, uh, you know, we we don't need to appeal to Russia to take Russia's chemical weapons. They, they, they're, they're there. So, you know, that worked before. Maybe we can trust them to control their own hunger to use chemical weaponry again. Again, if this, uh, if this uh, intelligence, uh, if this intelligence is correct. Um, I mean, the intelligence is that they've been retailing is that this is going to be used on Kiev. Right. So they're talking about using this on population centers to depopulate these, these cities. Uh, so it, there are the two, scale of the right. horror is, I mean, and, and the reaction to it is impossible to imagine. My, my direct answer to you, John, is that uh, do, do we wait until it happens? Uh, yes, we will. Uh, I don't see I, I, that part of my prediction yesterday about I no longer think the U.S. will get militarily involved directly, I think still holds. Um, if they're used, um, I think that my prediction is dead. Uh, I think then we do get involved. I mean, look, this is not Fort Sumter. I'm sorry. Like, you're not talking about, you know, 
we're just waiting to see who fires the first. We want them to fire the first shot. So we're just going to sit and wait till they, and then the war will begin in earnest. I mean, this is, I mean, I know we're saying that Syria's use of a chemical cross, and it did cross a red line and, 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 and Obama was, was very, very, very bad to do what he did with consequences that you can say stretch to the fact that Putin in, invaded uh, Ukraine. Um, because his experience in the United States was that he makes an offer that they can't refuse and he can control us that way. And consequences that stretch to the fact that the president cannot now say this will be a red line. Right. Well, he can say it if he means it. You can always say it. And it's not necessarily that anybody will 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 trust that that he means it since he was, of course, vice president when the red line that was breached and not uh and uh, and and the consequence was not was not met. That was under his under his watch. Um, but I just think there's a kind of weird theoretical escalation that comes from having from Saki having gone there yesterday. I mean, uh, why is she making thinkable the fact that the Russians may use chemical or biological weapons? It also I, it also I, I, heightens. I, the anxiety over the brinksmanship on the nuclear question. Right. right? So I, I, mean, I just, these are weapons it, it, of mass destruction, both yeah. of them. Why, why are we, why are we scaring our, I mean, <laughs> there's something it's like, we're going to level with the American people. Like the, the Russians may do this. Well, but that's not, you can't just do that because then the question is, what are you going to do to stop them? And if the answer is we're going to wait another month for the sanctions to kick in, or whatever, it's not, a, it's going to be, you know, another two weeks for the sanctions to kick in. That is not going to be, I mean, if, but if you're, this, but you're yeah. asking the okay. question that, that needs an answer that they haven't yet provided, what are they going to do to stop the Russians? We don't know. Like, again, what, what is the plan here? I mean, they just sent vice president Harris to Poland. Why? No one knows. I mean, you know, she, she gave a little answer, pat answers to questions like, you know, Poland and the U.S., we're on the same page, full stop. What does that even mean? They were just squabbling and there were so many mixed messages within the Biden administration about these jets and uh, the Air Force Base just, a, you know, 24 hours ago. What the, the, the sort of disordered, barely concealed chaos of the administration's own policy has also sending a message to Putin and to our allies. And that's not a good message for, for us. Um, I, I can't, can you answer that question? Like, what is our strategy in Russia? I, I mean, they, they have look, one, but, yeah. but towards Russia, I mean, not in Russia. I think, I think the central problem and, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know that anybody would have not been, I don't know that, you know, any other administration would have done all that much better is, uh, if you believe, as we believe, that the world has changed, that the that the that the Russians crossing into Ukraine has changed the future and how we are going to have to think about this and all of that, uh, that is a that is an evolutionary process inside the minds of policymakers, and they are they are in a transition from being in the old world to being in the the new world there you know and and so that uh this is one of the places where maybe no and i have a disagreement or something like that but the kind of harping on the danger of of any kind of military confrontation 
with Russia because of the threat that because because of Russia's nuclear deterrent is the message that you retail when you don't actually think when, when you're not actually in a position where you need the Russians to think that you're resolute and you're going to stare you're staring down the barrel of their gun without fear because you have a gun too. And that that is like old, that is the thinking from before. It's like we want to calm things down. We don't want to get everybody head up. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to be in a position like that. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's a good message <laughs> when we're actually, you know, when there's a war going on and we want the war to chill down, cool off, or somehow resolve itself. And we're the only means by which that is, we're not the only means. Obviously, the Ukrainian resistance is the key means of creating the space and the conditions under which, uh, you know, Russia might retreat with its tail between its legs and not and not go the extra distance either with destroying Kiev with conventional weaponry or with or with this other horrible uh, weapons. Well, of mass and, destruction. and I'm not I'm not trying to imply the administration is doing nothing. They obviously have a strategy on many fronts that they're pursuing. I, I guess my my uh, problem right now is that if you ask the average American, what is the Biden administration's most consistent message about Ukraine? It's they're to blame for gas prices or, you know, the Russians are to blame for gas prices. It's that there's not a good we if, as you say, John, and I agree, there's this this sort of transition moment we're in. He still needs to communicate that to the American people if he wants the support of whatever, you know, going forward, whatever policies he wants to pursue. Right, and I just that, don't hear that. But that that's what I mean, that, you know, sort of this this fight between state and, and the Pentagon on the on the on the Polish plains um, is a f is is in some sense it's like okay all bets are off the Ukrainians need planes the pole the the poles want to give them planes uh, Tony Blinken says great you know if they can arrange it that's great then the poles say we need to fly them out of out of Ramstein and then the Pentagon panics and says this is not tenable that is not a conversation that should be taking place in public. And that is the war between the new world and the old world. That's in well, part what I mean. None of these conversations. I mean, the conversation that we're having now shouldn't be taking place in public, even even entertaining the use of of WMDs at all, because in a doctrinal sense, this adversary, this regime that would engage in activities that are so irresponsible and frankly, um, yeah, it's a terrible word to use because we don't want to talk about it anymore, but irrational. Um, in a regime that would field these unconventional weapons should trigger, theoretically, should trigger a response where we disable their strategic nuclear arsenal. Because if that's a thinkable response, then a preemptive use of thermonuclear weaponry or atomic weaponry, theater weapons, is eminently believable. And if that's believable, then it's imminent. And if it's imminent, you're obliged to act. And quite said, well, and the reason that we're having these conversations in public that we shouldn't be is because there's a vacuum from the administration. Like where they're not filling that void. It's going to get filled with conversations and with squabbling and, and with people, you know, leaking to reporters about how state doesn't like what, you know, the White House is doing that they'll have in the Pentagon. They'll have those fights in the open because there isn't discipline inside the House. <laughs> no, I think that's absolutely right. And again, you know, like I, uh, we're conservatives, they're liberals, you know, we're we're ideologically antipathetic to most of what the Biden administration is doing. 
And so, uh, but I, I, I mention that only to say that I'm in sympathy with the fact that they have been handed, they are sitting in the middle of a, of a, or, you know, they are at, they are sitting at the crux of a hinge moment in history and expecting people to move beyond the hinge to, you know, to basically direct the door, the doorway in the right way when they were never prepared to do so and where it's incredibly complicated to do so while everything else looks pretty much the same, except for this one horrible thing, it's a lot to, it's a lot to ask for, you know, it's, and, and, uh, you know, uh, I think that's a real, you know, that's a real issue. Uh, I don't mean that that's why they're hired. If you want to be defense secretary or secretary of state, ultimately you're there for this reason. I mean, you're not just there to like, you know, cut a ribbon at a, at an embassy or to launch a new aircraft carrier. It is to, it is to be there in the midst of an existential worldwide crisis and to lead the, our forces or give good advice to our leaders so that we can prevail and the world can not end up a, a terribly worse place. But um, so I have more sympathy with the difficulties that they're facing. But that indiscipline is very serious, uh, you know, and um, part of the reason that, for example, the National Security Council was created and that there was a national security advisor was precisely to have a channel in which those kinds of disagreements were resolved and the and everybody got on the same page and there was a page and everybody read or, you know, there was a there was a sheet, there was sheet music and everybody sang from the same hymnal. And clearly that is not what happened this week with this and with Poland. And, 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 uh, and again, this kind of def defense of Toria Nuland, which um, I, I think is fine. Uh, and she really didn't do anything that deserved uh, this creation of this, you know, preposterous narrative, um, partially created because somebody bought into Soviet disinformation and asked her a question about it uh, on Capitol Hill um, also just doesn't seem to have been thought through. Like, you can't just have the White House press secretary say, prepare for Russia to use chemical weapons. No. We, 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 we don't want to prepare for Russia to use chemical weapons. We want to stop Russia from using chemical weapons. Because then we really are through the rabbit hole. And Noah looks and says that we've seen that this is survivable. But that was all happening in Syria. This is happening in Europe. You know, and Russia and, executed and, a chemical weapons attack in Great Britain uh, on an individual person. But it no, killed. But, it didn't kill the target, and it sickened a lot of people. I know, but it, but, but it's purpose. And killed I understand. somebody. Look, I'm not. I'm with you. Like, I don't think. I think that the fact that we haven't responded to all of this is a horror beyond belief. But I'm saying at this moment, um, we are talking about the use of chemical weapons as a battlefield device john to your point about the old world being at war with the new world we're in now i think that's kind of what we're seeing play out here with jen Psaki. before putin invaded the idea was we're going to tell you everything he's going to do uh in a, in a an attempt to mess up his game plan shame him out of it some combination thereof and this is still so they're they're still on the old world messaging model here. Right. 
Right. Well, part but, of that, I think, was the idea that they could freak Putin out, right, by saying we everything that you are planning, we're in your head and you don't know who's telling us what you're thinking. And we want you to be, you know, like going to war inside the Kremlin, killing people who you think are double A, you know, are our agents. We're, we're trying to freak you out. It's a form of uh, psychological warfare. Uh, but we're beyond that now. First of all, he already knows it. Second of all, you know, how I'm saying now what she says, is, it, it's important what Americans hear here in terms of what we are, what we need to prepare for. And uh, what we need to prepare for is the rest of the day. So I think we're going to call a halt to these, this conversation today and be back tomorrow. For Abe, Christina, no, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the camel.